Awkward Family. It is another week. Episode 34 is here. Um, it's crazy to think that there's been 34 episodes, but yet here we sit. I am uh, excited this week. A longtime friend, dear, dear brother. Sitting down with him and talking, uh, just basically, you'll hear it, a, a Seinfeld episode. It may be a, an episode about something really specific for you. It may be an episode of nothing, but the banter um, with this fella is always good. He makes you feel like you are the funniest person in the room. For that, I will always be grateful. And the, yeah, that's it. Let's get into it. And so without further ado... Hey, Aaron Tungate, welcome. It's gonna get awkward. Meow. Good. Would you like me to take care of that post? You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Aaron Tungate. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. <laughs> I know you're still kind of like, okay, so I'm sitting here for what reason? Do you feel that way? Or as, I, as I'm driving over, I thought of Seinfeld, the show about nothing. I was like, this is going to be a conversation about nothing. Hey, some people have said that. Okay. Some people have said awkward podcast is the Seinfeld of podcast. And I'm like, you know what? fantastic it's, that's because your lane for me guess what it's important so as long as it's jonathan's importance i don't care okay uh aaron tungate where were you born i was born in normal illinois there is an actual city <laughs> called normal that explains so much well oh, the, no. the wife likes to say you're anything but that oh Okay. But that's how marriage works. I was just going to say that vanilla Aaron Tungate, that's not true. Normal? Normal. Yep. Any history on, did you ever figure so the, out why it was called normal? No, no idea. Hmm. No idea. The whole, my whole extended family is Southern Illinois. Got and it. for whatever reason, my folks were there at the time and, or close to there. And that's where I was born and. That was just, uh, they were still in Southern Illinois. So what was your dad doing to be in normal Illinois? So dad had a special education degree. Okay. Uh, so teacher certification and all of that. So there was teaching and there was uh, starting up small Christian schools. Wow. That was sort of the first um, portion of my childhood that I really remember was moving around every two to three years because dad was involved in small Christian education. Whoa, I did not know that. That's, That's cool. what took us to yeah. Massachusetts for a couple of years and Oklahoma for a couple of years and back to Indiana. So it's sort of my life up until about 14 years old was that. And then we got down to Abilene. Got it. So was Ab where was Adam born? Oh, I, I shouldn't say his name. The younger brother. Adam was born in Olney. Illinois, not okay. only Texas. Okay. So he was still born up there and y'all were still running around doing all those yep. all those things. Yep. So you end up in Abilene. What brought you guys to Abilene? So at the age of thirty nine, dad decided to go back to school as a non traditional student at Abilene Christian. 
to pursue his marriage and family therapy training. Got it. Okay. So that's where we were from 89 to 91 as he went through that. And in hindsight, there's photographic evidence of knowing your wife yes. in the same youth in group. The same youth group. And that we was, had some pretty awesome threads to prove it. That was that was such a bizarre find to know that there was a <clears throat> teenage Aaron Tungate in a swing, I think, is the picture that I saw. On a mission trip. On a mission trip. Mm-hmm. So strange. Okay, so your family, all your family's there. Correct. It's, we're the ones that ventured away. And ventured away. So why ACU? Like what brought him all the way to there? I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Other than there were a couple of names kind of running or involved in that program at the time that I think uh, had some kind of broad Got it. notoriety. Paul Faulkner and okay. Carl Burkeen were a couple of names that I remember being yeah. thrown around a lot that I think a lot of people knew and maybe they had books and uh, something attracted dad there. just so. said, yep, yeah, I'm doing mm-hmm. that. Was your mom working or was she just stay-at-home mom? She was at home with us homeschooling at the time. Okay. Got it. So go to Abilene, graduate from? So after dad gets out of ACU, we end up over into eastern New Mexico in Hobbs, New Mexico. Okay. So while he was still in school, he was, and I don't remember what the connection was, but he ends up because it's only a couple of hours from Abilene over to, over yeah. to barely into New Mexico. And he was going over there and doing some counseling. And ended up figuring out, hey, uh, we'll set up shop here. And in fact, it was a prior acquaintance of his that was preaching at a church in Hobbs. It was actually one of their best friends earlier in life and said, yeah. you know what, we'll just make the migration over there. And so we did for my last couple of years of high school. And graduated from Hobbs. Mm-hmm. That I did not know. There we go. Look at that. Okay, so... What Like when he's in yesterday, or the podcast I recorded, I don't even know how they go in order, but um, Emily and Sean, they talk about a little bit of the struggle of being in school and having family while you're getting a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So was he working during that time too or no? No way, Jose. No? He was. That was a very intense program. I remember, you know, this was kind of pre-desktop computer. Mm, right. I remember this card table set up in their bedroom with a word processor and him just wearing that thing out, typing all these Whoa. papers. And then they had to do all of these counseling hours as a part of the program. And I mean, it was almost impossible to work. And so and do any of that. There was a to get it done. There was a lot of a lot of debt involved, frankly, to yeah. accomplish that. To get it all through. Yeah. So do you remember those times pretty clearly? I do. Yeah. And I'm not one of those kids who remembers everything about their childhood. Not because I I don't think because I had a bad childhood. In fact, I think about my growing up, I had two great loving parents yeah. and a committed loving uh, marriage. I just don't remember all these details. I'm the same way. Okay. Yeah. But from... But there's some people that are like, man, I remember the shoes I wore on Christmas morning when I was 10 and, you know. Yes. What's your earliest childhood memory? And Valise will say, well, I was in this tunnel and there's a bright light. It's like, you remember your birth. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's right. There's no, some people that are that But way. from about that age, I'd say 13, 14. Um, yeah. Remember a lot. Baseball was a big deal. Was it... Do you, do you remember that being hard or... Like in that no. time, or was it just kind of, man, this is kind of fun? And- I was I was a kid doing school and playing Nintendo and big into baseball. Baseball was 
uh, fun, and we had really good experiences in Abilene with City League baseball there. Yeah. And uh, so it was really tough, I'm sure, for mom and dad. And looking back, you know, you have a different perspective. Now right. you're a parent, and you realize all the responsibilities and all the things that they had. And I think it was just uber stressful for them. Yeah. But we were just loving life. and Just rolled on through. Yeah. 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 I just, I think... I think it's interesting to look back on those moments because we were talking about it yesterday and I can think about the really lean times for Heather and I. And some of those are like some of the sweetest times. They're lean and real stressful in that moment, but you can kind of look back and go, man, that was really simple. Yes. Or, you know what I mean? It's yes. just very interesting to think back on mm -hmm. those things. Okay. So you graduate from Hobbs, New Mexico. Hobbs is, what? what's the mascot there? Hobbs? The Hobbs Eagles. The Eagles, all right. So you leave there. Any potential on colleges? Like, what were you? Were you one of those guys that were like, "Hey, I'm. I've got these five top." So things. different from you know we've now experienced this with yeah our oldest recently, and and I, we've talked about. I don't remember it like this when I was coming out of mm -hmm. high school. I didn't make college visits and yeah, do all this hubbub. In fact, it was pretty predetermined. So I had never heard of little bitty Lubbock Christian University. And we had a youth intern one summer at our church who was from LCU and had a terrific, fun experience with him and by way of him learned of Lubbock Christian. That's where he was going to college at the time. Whoa. That's how you got there. Interesting side note. Yeah. That's Brad Rogers, who is now an NFL referee. You see him on TV on Sundays. What? He, yeah. Kind of cool. He he was our, really our cool. youth intern. And so we lived on campus of a small college in Hobbs. My dad was director of student life and did counseling on the side, sort of, like kind of like two jobs. Well, yeah. we lived on campus in the dorms, very modest, small dorms, kind of like apartment-style living. And there was like the, a front and a back side of those dorms, kind of like apartments that could, like a hotel room that might connect with a door. Right. And uh, Brad, the intern, lived on one side of that that summer. And so we just hung out with him the whole summer. We were always going to play basketball or doing this or doing that. And uh, just latched on to him. And, and he would take us up to Lubbock. Hey, I'm going on campus to go do this or check that out. Come with us. And I mean, I don't know. They should have been paying him. I mean, he was the most effective recruiter ever. That is so cool. Now, that's a story right there with Brad. We need yeah. to get Brad on the podcast to talk with that dude. That would be really interesting. Just to have. I mean, he's still in Lubbock. Really? And teaches some at LCU. Y'all still, I mean, still contact? and So, interestingly, he also helps coach girls basketball at Lubbock Christian High School, which is next to LCU. Oh, yeah. And the school where our boys have been at the last few years, we ended up in the same uh, private school district with them. And so we've been seeing them no the last couple of years at volleyball games and basketball games and all that cool stuff. We've kind of kept up over the years, yeah. not all that closely sort of on Facebook or whatever, right. but we've actually got to have more conversations. Than the that last. is so cool. Yeah. So you go there with a major in mind or no? I went pre-med in mind. Thought okay. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. And then so I, education or anything like that was out of the, I'm not going to do what dad did, I'm not marriage, family counseling, not a. I, I thought I wanted to do something medical. I yeah. felt like I was bent that way. And okay. 
Uh, that's all I really remember. So anything that turned you that way or like something in high school or whatever that you were like, hey. Always liked science. Okay. Always liked biology. Um, you know, I don't remember any sort of formative experiences that leaned me that direction. Okay. I just thought that's what I wanted to do. Okay. So you go in pre-med to LCU, known for their pre-med program. Well. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, so it's funny. They have a higher than average percentage over the years of acceptance into medical school and other Look healthcare professional. Now I'm doing a plug for LCU. I hey, I'm doing it. It's all part if, of the game. If you want to go into healthcare in a number of different ways, you know, dental, physical therapy, um, PA, nursing, they actually do that pretty well, even though they're a very small place. Look and they me. have higher than average acceptance Putting rates. Putting my foot in my mouth about... yeah. Well, this is about educating. Well, that's true. (laughs) And shutting Jonathan up. All right. So you go in knowing you're going to do pre-med. So let's talk through the college years. Oh, yeah. How was that? Well, I mean, we look back on LCU as, I mean, we just had a terrific experience there. When I say we, I mean my wife and I, Melissa. We, We met my sophomore year, her freshman year. Okay. But it was just so many things, you know, that we needed and that we enjoyed. Yeah, you know, some people could not live in a in a small pond like that. Mm-hmm. But we found it um terrific in all ways. All the activities that we did, um, we sang in chorus, we were in the social club thing for you non Christian university people, that's it's a Christian frat. Mm-hmm. With. So when you say the things, y'all were finding things that you needed, is that what you mean? Is like there were these opportunities that maybe in a big pond you wouldn't have had, but you were finding it there? I think relationally, yeah, it was, we found it easy mm. to connect and have community in a variety of ways and avenues. And there was a lot of crossover in it, meaning, you know, I'm an club with these guys and we also sing in chorus and we go tour and go to you know the choir concerts and you're doing that with your buddies hmm. and then you're in club with them and you play intramurals and sports with them and and, and oh yeah we got a good education too so talk about the touring thing what, oh, what do you mean by that so chorus christian college choruses will usually tour you know a couple times a year usually on the excuse me on the breaks or on the weekends okay you know go to typically churches and sing a concert you know stuff that they've prepared because they want to see what them kids can do and it's that deal and it's you know as far as the church of christ heritage goes yeah it's it's a big link you're you're often if not always singing in churches of christ right and they can show their kids in the youth group look what there you, you go do. you could be yep um because that was a getting to know you guys and destin and other people yeah. like that was foreign to me knowing sure. that there and I was at ACU but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know of a singing group that toured yeah but I do remember a couple of times I think in high school maybe even middle school or something a group came to our church sure and I was like well, that's that's interesting that these are college kids and they're on a tour you know I so, should probably start saying it that way actually I, well I sang with a touring group in right. college not a, it's, <laughs> I mean it really like, that's what I thought. I was like, this is, they're kind of famous. They're all touring around. All right. So 
was college easy, hard for you? How did you, I, how uh, was that? Academically yep. or just the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the whole summary. Academically typical, probably, you know, adjustment. Oh, I'm going to have to step up the game a little bit and and work a little differently and all that kind of stuff. But I was the typical firstborn, self-motivated and yeah. driven. Uh, so that stuff, you know, kind of took care of itself because I was going to work at it. I was going to do what I needed to do. So like in high school, were you a were you above average average student or was that just like in high school? I'd say I'd say average student with above average motivation. Okay. I mean, we we homeschooled all the way through high school. Okay. But what helped was my senior year of high school, we I took some classes at that small college we were living on my senior year which gave me a flavor for sort right. of what it was going to take and all that kind of stuff. I did not know that you were homeschooled all the way through. Mm-hmm. Another lesson learned. Because I'm so cool. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> that just made everything. Every we, homeschooled we, now people. we have to be respectful. That's right. Oh, boy. Okay. So at what point do you go... Well, you're already pre-med, so you kind of feel like there's going to be a decision to do something outside of college. Yep. Post. Yep. Um, when did you decide, like, what that's going to be? Well, I had to really decide whenever I took organic chemistry. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. really hard. Yeah. And chemistry was was probably the topic that just didn't connect great for me. And I just struggled with it mm. and kind of realized I may not be able to, to make that grade on paper that's going to look great. And so I started considering other healthcare options. Okay. And so after I was only at LCU for three years and decided to go down the street to do my RN diploma program. Got it. There's at the time, and this doesn't even hardly exist anymore, if at all, there's a hospital that ran an RN program. It was very integrated. So they would train these nurses and then basically employ them. So it worked for everyone. Wow. You can't hardly do that. It's a two-year, kind of like an associate's, yeah. but you get your RN Whoa. with it. So I went and did that. Oh, so you're not talking about go down the road to tech. You're talking about go down the road to this hospital. It was a called at the time a school of nursing. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's all that, I did. That's not existent anymore? Hardly. Okay. If at all. It's just because it's a two-year sort of get your RN associate certificate kind, yeah. of, kind of thing. And now they're all bachelor's level stuff. And so it's just well, kind of phased out as the educational landscape changes. Is that particular school of nursing still? It's not. No, that's close. Wow. So I did that. After three years at LCU, I went and did that. And if I had to say I had one regret, if you will, was missing out on that last year mm. at LCU yeah. with everything that had been, you know, so great, so fun, relationships and all of that. We were still in Lubbock, so I was still involved, but just not the same. Because right? you weren't on campus. All that. Uh, so let's go back to you and Belisa have met Yes. sophomore, freshman year. Yep. We're the same age. 
but I was a year ahead of her. Okay. Had had completed my freshman year, so. Because the homeschool, you can skip five grades if you need to. You can do that. You can do that. And, You're just you going to run it in the ground. And just fall on your face. Uh, you take organic <laughs> chemistry and realize, oh, I shouldn't have homeschooled. <laughs> Maybe I should have took a chemistry class. And... Uh, as a, On a side, homeschooling was good for us. It's not for everyone. Right. Right. It's just. For sure. It's, it's, there are, but there are people that, you know, you got to do that. You got to educate your children. Keep that in your own home, blah, blah, blah. And I just, it works for some people and it does not work. It, and it works it, really well for some people. I it, mean, it's. It would yeah. never have worked for me and my nuclear family. Three kids, we'd kill each other. Yeah. I would not have kids anymore. Right. They would, they would all be deceased or something. <clears throat> okay. So you and Valisa meet, start dating seriously. Yeah. So. The the short version is I came out of a relationship my freshman year that didn't end great. She comes out of high school with a high school relationship that didn't go well or end great. Hmm. And we both were like, we're going to meet people and we're going to live it up. And as, you know, any trustworthy, solid sophomore would do, you have to help with freshman orientation. You know, we right. want the freshmen to feel welcomed. Right. Especially the freshman ladies. Well, yeah. You need to feel welcome. Yeah. So indeed, we did that. And I noticed Belisa and said, hey, you want to go rollerblade? You know, back when hey, you did such things. Now was... you're talking my language. And she said, well, yeah. I mean, I've been here like a minute and somebody, guy asked me to do something. And later I learned she was like, I don't have a clue what to do on rollerblades. I've never had them on. So she's like going back to the dorms and borrowing rollerblades from some girl. But it was the best thing ever because she just held on to me the whole time. I was like, well, we should do this again. Well played. Sir. And so we did and never dated anyone else. Is that right? That's it. Man. Yep. Had it pegged from the get-go. So y'all got married in college? We both were 21. Okay. So you were in nursing school then? I no. had completed my first okay. semester. Yes. But still in Something school, like, like living. Oh, yeah. Ideal circumstances to start uh, a marriage <laughs> is both uh, involved in difficult or impending difficult you academic programs. She's about to go into, into physical into therapy. Physical therapy yeah, school. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the first one of the first years of our marriage, she spent way more time with her study group. And. I spent way more time with the guys playing softball than we did with each other because, I mean, that's just the way her school was. Man. So it was it was not ideal. Yeah. And, it was, and that created some stuff that we had to work through. Right. Yeah. No doubt. So then, okay, so you graduate with from the nursing program. Right. So I get the RN and I start working at the hospital, which is kind of their little yeah. plan anyway. But it sure. worked great. I was like, oh, I can start Absolutely. earning as right. a nurse. Good. It was good. Yeah. And then LCU develops a RN to BSN program where I can go back and finish and get my bachelor's while working. And so that's what I did. And oh, that that's... enabled one of us to be working while she was in physical therapy school. And she went to tech for that, right? That's correct. So you just transfer over to tech to finish. Yep. Or to do her PT. So you... You just start working. So when she's done. Along the way, I decided I want to do more. Yep. I worked as an RN for three years. I want to do more. And, and I figured out I, I wanted to go to PA school, physician okay. assistant. So so did you like the REN world? I did. did. Yeah. What, what I loved and fell in love with was the cardiac world. 
Mm. I worked in cardiac units in the hospital. So that wasn't anything specific when you were in nursing. You were like, oh, I'm going that route. But you discovered it during. Yeah, while I was in school, you know, you could get a job like as a patient care tech helping out on the, you know, Mm. helping the nurses do stuff. I did that while I was getting my RN. And then I went and worked on that unit where I had. So what intrigued you about that? Do you remember? I don't. I, I just remember it. It sort of made sense to me. Hmm. Uh, enjoyed learning it and then enjoyed applying it in real life. So you decided to go get your PA. Yep. Where, where does that take you? I, that's what brought us over here. Okay. So I got into PA school at UT Southwestern in it, Dallas yep. in 2002. And we've been here ever since. So we discovered, I, I had no idea about the Metroplex. I thought it was like, oh, you know, it's just this big urban area. And then we went into Railhead. We were looking for a place to live. And they, they wear those T-shirts to say life's too short to live in Dallas. Yeah. And quickly figured out that we sort of subscribe to that. Yeah. Just, it's just, they're different worlds. For, it is Fort different. Worth and Dallas. And so we wanted to be in Fort Worth. I, I think we thought we would go back to Lubbock maybe because- my brother's there, and at the time we had even more family ties right. there and friends. But we kind of found Fort Worth a little similar in some ways to Lubbock. People kind of like, really? I said, there's some similarities. The, yeah, the people, for sure. I can be out at <clears throat> Costco or at a restaurant and see people or patients that right. I know. Yeah, um, and we like that. And you found a little church over there. We got that... plugged. We got plugged into a to a little church. Where there was a it was little, not a little in though. That it was, was not. Alta Mesa was about a thousand, I think, at the time, yeah. and there were a lot of young couples that were walking there. there for sure. Yep. How long was the PA program? Is about two and a half years. Most okay. of them are in that range of two and a half to three years. Okay. Yep. I, I didn't know that program. So, is a PA you're getting an RN and then working on that, or can you run out of your bachelor's straight into a PA program? You can come straight out of a bachelor's and go to okay. PA school as long as you satisfy the prerequisites to get into a PA program. It's it's okay. kind of a weird deal. You but can, it's the normal routine is you kind of RN and then it's a, it, it is, just a smorgasbord? It's all over the place. Okay. Of I like to ask people that are PAs, what was your life before PA school? Because mm-hmm. you'll get a lot of oh, I, oh, was, yeah. I was an EMT. I was oh. I worked in the business sector and I made a whole different change in my career. I, I mean, Whoa. people come from all different walks. So at any of that time, were you ever like, I think I'm going to go back and do the full doctor thing and the thought would enter here and there. Um, but it didn't make sense. Yeah. Educationally, it didn't make sense. So there's no such thing as sort of a PA to MD bridge program, which would seem to make some sense. I would have to start. Well, that's medical. what I thought. I would have to start medical school all over again. Holy and moly. No, thanks. Yeah, no and the, way. And the debt you likely accumulate. In Absolutely. The years of, and all that. So this has been a, a really good fit. Oh, for sure. Well, number one, I knew you forever before I even knew what you did. Yeah. And I'm like, Aaron's a cardiac doctor. You know, like basically, I mean. Like that guy who wears sweatshorts? I, yeah. I mean. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so through that, I, I that takes you to Alta Mesa, which is also was a big part of y'all's story. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's talk about the first years of work too. Like, so you get into like when you graduate from the PA school, is that like hard to get into a job there, or is that like, hey, we're waiting on you guys to finish to come on? Or depends on it's very regional. Depends on where you live, what the job market's like. 
I found that there were jobs, but it wasn't the job that I wanted. Okay. But there were jobs, and we had our first kid on the way, and I was like, I'm going to take a job. Right. So I took a job that wouldn't have been my number one preference. But it, in hindsight, you know, things work out. And uh, so I did a year of family medicine out okay. of school and learned a lot hmm. about, oh, unfortunately, you have to use the term the business of medicine. Right. You know, the, uh, yeah. th there's that side of healthcare. It's a totally broken thing that we operate in, but it's the, th it's the thing. It's there. And so that was a, a learning experience of a first year. And then, you know, that job abruptly ended, not in a fashion that I would choose. And I learned, again, more about the business of medicine at that point. Mm. And, but it opened a door to find a cardiology job, which is what I really wanted. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Man. So, and it's been the same doc, right? No. No. So I spent nine years at a practice downtown by the, the hospitals here in Fort Worth. And then I made the move uh, with uh, the physician that I'm still currently working with uh, at, at the practice, the other practice here in Fort Worth for eight years. And then we've recently changed again. I'm still with that uh, same physician to UT Southwestern. So it's a little bit of kind of like going home back to where I trained and Whoa, yeah. all that cool stuff because they're uh, expanding their horizons here in Fort Worth. So let me ask you this, because this has been an, an interesting learning process as I've known um, CNRAs, I guess that's right. Yeah. Nurse assistants. Nurse anesthetists. Yeah, it's easy to say. So are you hourly or salary? Salary. Okay. You can work it any number of ways. That's what was so interesting to me when you talk to guys like that where you're like, man, that is an interesting job, but it's an hourly job. And you can, you know. Yes. It's an interesting Yeah, you can you can work the business with, of medicine. You can work with a, a contract and, and get hired on with a salary. <clears throat> you can go um kinda what, ten ninety nine? Yeah, right. And contract it's your own business kind of thing. Yeah. Yep, you can do that. I mean there's a lot of different ways to kind of skin the cat. So did you ever work that angle where it was hourly or were you always just like I yeah. want I want the salary and work it that way? I'm a I'm a like to basically know what we've yeah. got coming in kind of right. guy. For I, sure. That's just kind of how I'm wired, right? Uh, kind of normal. Yeah, that's very normal, just to make sure. Uh, but, I mean, you can, you know, miss out on maybe some of the more adventuresome side of things. But by and large, you know, it's worked, and that's kind of how we've rolled. And I just think that's interesting in the, the story, and anybody that's listening to this that may hear, <clears throat> you know, a desire to do that. Like, that is an interesting side of medicine and the nursing world, the RNs, the PAs, the nurse practitioners, yep. all that world. Yep. You can work an hourly thing and make some crazy cash, but you also could work yes. none and then, or do a salary. Yeah. Thing. I thought I was interested <clears throat> in cardiovascular surgery, mm. but the surgical lifestyle is just not real conducive to the best work-life balance. Consistency. So I found balance with the cardiology. Part. So, like in your in y'all's practice, like what what's the normal? Is it all over the place, or is it pretty consistent? Like we are seeing this thing. So, kind of like a lot of specialties, and you know, there can be sort of subspecialties within that specialty. 
you know, you've got, you know, this little area that deals with electrical problems of the heart and these people that deal with right. uh, the plumbing. I, that's the crude yeah. way I say we do, plumbing. Right, right. we do plumbing and electricity. Uh, but I work with a guy who does uh, more plumbing than electricity, okay. but I previously worked uh, on the electrical side. So I've kind of had that experience. So I'm currently functioning in sort of a general uh, capacity, which I kind of enjoy because there's variety. And so what does it mean for you as a PA? Like, what are you able to do? You're just operating under a doctor? Well, uh, it's so the, the terminology has changed and I think it reflects more uh, what it actually looks like. It used to be called a supervising physician that a PA had to legally be attached with. Well, now it's called a collaborating physician because it really in the in the best form and sense uh, of the arrangement, it should be a collaboration, kind of a team. The, mm. the, 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 the doctor PA team delivering care, it improves access to care. Um, you know, you can get a lot more done. There's, there can be two people at doing two different things at once. The guy I work with does procedures. Well, he can be doing procedures and I'm seeing patients in the office. And mm. so there's two people at two different places, you know, being productive. Right. So... Sorry, I don't remember what the question but is. Then, but, but then collaborating on that yes. patient's care. Right. And that depends on a lot of factors. I, I don't, you know, sit and talk about every patient that I see with the doctor that I work with because I've got experience at this point. Yeah. And comfort level to know what I'm comfortable handling and what maybe we need to collaborate on. And so it's far more often that I'm working a little more independently now. And it's more that the patients are coming to just see Aaron. Yep. Not. And it's one of the fun parts about cardiology is the relationships because these are chronic diseases. Right. And, and you develop those uh, kind of special, meaningful, long-term relationships with people. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. So um, you end up three kids. Yep. Still Fort Worth. Um. Talk a little bit about your parents. Let's go there real quick, just yeah. in the the interesting side of that, because you were one of my first good friends who I knew yeah. really well that yeah. had lost a parent. So let's talk a little bit down yeah. that journey. Well, I mean, I think we all who are in our 40s, late 40s or 50 or whatever, you start to face the reality of, of aging uh, parents, medical issues, and then uh, parents that that die. Yeah. And mine came earlier. Right. Uh, than, than most, I think, of sort of yeah. uh, the friends that we have in common in particular. And both cancer. And, you know, just the, that's a roller coaster. When you talk about chronic disease, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. And so it was mom first and then dad about five years later. So what was your mom's, what was her diagnosis? Colon, colon cancer. Okay. Um, dad's was a different variant, but somewhat, colon. somewhat similar. Yeah. Were they like, even in that, in the colon cancer, did she do screenings and stuff like that? Or was it the, the time of, well, I'm fine. You it, know? it wasn't as big of a public health initiative, yeah. you know, as it is now in awareness and all that stuff. So, but she had had medical care. Mom had uh, mental health. She was bipolar. So okay. it wasn't as if she didn't have healthcare encounters and that kind of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could 
go down that go road. into the details, yeah. but I'm, I mean, I don't know. So, and then your dad, five years later. Right. So mom passes about within a year, dad remarries. Okay. And uh, then he gets cancer. Hmm. Yeah. And then, but he, how long was he sick? Was it, it was a pretty. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, it was, she, mom's was like a four year. Okay. Ordeal. Dad's was not as long. Right. Um, he had, he unfortunately had kind of a more aggressive type of disease and uh, just, I think it was a couple of years, maybe. Real quick. Yeah. I'll have to, someone will fact check me. Yeah. I'll have that's to get Adam right. to. It's all good. So once again, we've already established you're not good with the memory stuff on the, <laughs> recalling the details. All right. So in that, and this, this is where we kind of get into the weeds of things. Like when you, like when your dad was real sick and you guys were going pretty often to see him check on things, what was in your head? And this is where I love to pick Aaron Tungate's head. Cause we haven't talked about the, the beautiful mind that is Aaron Tungate's. When you are sitting in that space, are there thoughts about I am because I'm I'm putting Jonathan's mind in your mind of what I would be yeah, thinking. And sure. I can remember thinking this when your dad passed. Yeah. Of because you were held, let me think here. Early no, not early forties. Yeah. No, it was it was it would have been more into kind of the late thirties. When your dad passed? Mm, it's been it's been a while now. Okay. So that's even more bizarre. But I can remember thinking, Aaron's young. Yeah. And there's no parents. Right. And there's no going to well, I mean, Valisa's parents are alive and kicking and healthy and but like my side, there's not a Christmas to gather there or a Thanksgiving and Yep. It's the, it's strange. That was part of the how was your brain processing all that? Do you do you recall that? In the moment, maybe not, but I mean, pretty quickly when you're faced with the realities, you know, of, oh, this is, okay, now this is our life. Hmm. You know, it's just me and the one sibling with Adam and he's still in Lubbock. And so we've tried to maintain the family gathering, so yeah. to speak, and, and make sure that we uphold those things. I've, I've always loved the holidays in particular. Right. So that's a big deal for me. You mentioned uh, in-laws. Uh, my in-laws are wonderful people who uh, love very intentionally with their grandchildren and, and with us. And they have been a huge, um, wonderful piece, you know, since my parents yeah. have been gone. I to mean, kind of heal that. Felice's dad is, uh, is my phone a friend, you know, to ask about, do I even want to try to fix this? Like mm. he's a, he's that guy who knows yeah. something about everything and might even know how to fix it kind of right. thing. So, yeah, I mean, your your life changes when you, um, dad and I were close. We shared a lot of uh, common interests, sports being one. You know, it's very, very common that I'll be watching something. You know, it's less now, but I'll still think, oh, dad and I would have been mm. talking about this. Yeah. You know, and that can sting a little bit still. Oh, no doubt. As As time passes, it's just true. You know, you learn to live with it, and it's not on the you know, forefront and tip of your brain all the time. Yeah. But there's absolutely all those moments they, and it can kind of creep on you. 
So I think of like me and my brother um, and how we are very similar processors. Okay. Are you and Adam, are y'all, are y'all the same kind of processor? Not a bit. Not even close. Very different people. So in processing that together, but so yeah. differently, did that help a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. One of are, the one of the things that um, was different for both of us is Adam was there mm-hmm. in Lubbock in the same town mm-hmm. through both of their illnesses and dying, you know, just there all the time. Yeah. And we're the ones that were over here. You yeah. Know, we're, we're five hours away. So our experiences were very different as well. Mm. And so it's helpful in a sense to process it from different personalities, but also from different so different experiences of those illnesses. Hmm. I mean, I Adam, his personality is so many parts of it I aspire to. Yeah. I mean, he is, if you're into the Enneagram, yeah. he's the ninest nine I might know. Yeah. Um, and and just chill, just totally chill. Hmm. And I've got the red hair thing. Yeah. Coupled with the Enneagram, a bit fiery. With the Enneagram eight. Right. So it they they kind of balance each other a bit. Hmm. And so it did, I guess it did. It it just really helped you process some of the stuff. Because he's also it's not that you're not sentimental, but he's also teddy bearish and Oh no, no. It's sentimental yeah. and, and that kind of thing is hard to come by for me. Um learning to be more emotionally intelligent and in tune is a fairly new endeavor as an adult. When I realized 10 years ago that, yeah, you're missing a big piece of experiencing life as a human being when you can't mm-hmm. kind of get in touch with how you're feeling. And uh, I mean, you know, people are, I like to say people generally, these are huge generalizations, are wired more head or more heart, more head or more right. heart. Are you a thinker or are you a feeler? Yeah. And then, of course, there's all kinds of, you know, in between on that. But um, I'm more of a thinker than a feeler. And Valisa uh, is more of a thinker than a feeler. And then we have a kid who's a feeler and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm supposed to parent this? I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Which is a really great segue to the other button I wanted to push for you is, you know, I, you and I have done a lot of life together and been in a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of leadership positions, a, a lot, lot of shared of ministry, spaces, a lot of shared spaces, yeah. ministry and everything. Yeah. yeah. And pastorally, I know of nobody better. Mm. And that's really wild when you say, <laughs> I'm, I'm all head and no heart. And I know that's not true or, you know, whatever, but that, that goes to another point and I'm not, it's not really a button. There have been so many times in, in our interaction, you know, in the early years, all I remember is you were a, a flamingo or something on VBS or something was the first time I remember seeing you. Back in the day of those big VBS Way, productions. I mean, yeah. it was Broadway, Broadway <laughs> style. Funny. And I remember, you know, that was kind of my first introduction to who you were and stuff like that, which is fine. I mean, there was nothing 
nothing wrong with that. But even in those times, I realized not in not in deep relationship like we are now, but in those times, I I learned that you and Belisa were loving some people that were or loving on people that sometimes weren't easy to love and doing that well. And you weren't an elder. You weren't, you were just a small group leader, maybe, or, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and young 30, probably 33, 34 at that time. And I can remember thinking until we, you know, until Z came around and, and that relationship deepened, whatever that was, 10, 11, 12 years ago now. Um, well, that was before that because we were doing some worship stuff together and whatnot. Yes, I think but that was kind of the beginnings. In that, there were just times that I would see you guys, like tr- and now I know the verbiage. I didn't know what the verbiage was then, but like pastoring people really well that were hard to pastor, like herding cats. Or <laughs> they would they would let you guys pastor them and then they would run away. And then they might come back. And in those moments, remembering, like, how do you do that? And that's, and I'm a big feeler. I'm almost all feels and not my head much. And so I, I can remember thinking that. And then as you and I have gotten to know each other better, and, and I know you were very logically minded and very mm-hmm. in your head. Yep. But the the marrying of that, it's like this, oh, this, this spirit supernaturally spiritual side wells up to do that part really well because you're all here in a physical place. But watching you and Valisa do that so well, better than I could. I mean, I just don't, it's a very interesting thing. So I want to talk about that a little bit. All right. So In those spaces, and you know, it's it doesn't matter who it was, whatever it was. In yep. those spaces of, and you, I do wish Belisa kind of was here for this part, just because I feel like it'd be interesting to talk to her too. Y'all can see that better than most people, and stay in those spaces better than most people. Is it a learned thing, or is it a yeah. What what was I don't know. Let's get into the weeds yeah. of all that. Sure. Well, there's a lot of things pinging off in my head. Yeah. Just as you kind of talk through that a little bit. And uh, I love that almost I got you a little emotional then. I saw the Well, <laughs> it's you jerk, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> no, I welcome that. No, it's no, good. No, I, I, I it's healthy. I need it. Sure. Um It's 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 learned, I think. I think it's for us. For, okay. I'll speak for me. Yeah. I'll speak for me. I think it's it's an intentionality that I don't always hit the mark on. But when you talk about being more logically minded, I you, you know, there's these terms that get used, especially in let's say a church world or a church context, yeah. about pastoral care. Mm-hmm. And I would hear that and kind of feel like I maybe knew what that meant or but then there were times I was like, I, I you keep using that word. I'm not sure we know what that means. And then I heard this really helpful definition that gave me sort of a logical construct, right? I mean, this is sounding way head more than heart, right? But it was very good. But it was very simple. Pastoral care is paying attention. It's paying attention. 
That's all pastoral care is. Just be aware and pay attention to what's going on around you and for what people are going through. And when you start to do that, when you kind of uh, train your eyes and ears to realize, oh, they're saying more than just those words that are coming out. I see that, oh, there's some emotion with that. There's something else is going on. Mm. So let's find out. Let's ask more questions. Let's be more curious to use a great sort of uh, motivation and inspiration from our friend Destin Brannon. Yeah. Let's be more curious and ask more questions. I find that really helpful. Yeah. The other thing that I've figured out is I kind of feel alive whenever I'm in the mess mm. with someone. And again, this all goes with all of these journeys that we're on in figuring out who we are. I'm 47 years old and I still feel like I'm figuring out really who I am. Right. And that's okay. And I, I think if you'd asked me when I was 25, hey, when you're 47, you think you'll probably have yourself figured out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, oh, for I'll, sure. No, I've had a lot of realizations in the last few years. And that Enneagram thing, yeah. when I'm the healthiest version of myself, my line connects to the two, which is a helper, mm. which is a helper. So that's when I'm the best version of myself is when I'm willing to help and helping, whatever that looks like. Now, that's hard for me sometimes because I want to try to fix it. But I've learned that that's not my job. There may be some ways that I can help someone make some fixes or whatever. But that's not my job, but it is to come alongside and sort of be in the mess. And I feel, I kind of feel alive in that. Some people feel worn out by that. And, that, and that's, I get that too. Because maybe the emotional side of that is a bit heavy. But that stuff doesn't kind of stick to me. Hmm. I don't know if that kind of makes any sense or not, but no, it does. I think maybe that's where some of it comes from. Well, and it, it, yeah, I think it makes us when you put it in those terms. I think it makes sense because I think a lot of people won't get in the trenches because it does weigh them down emotionally. Well, and one other aspect I think is the uncertainty of the mess. That's been a big theme. Uh, probably in the last decade for me, hmm. is being okay with uncertainty. I don't know if there's a way that I would choose out of this mess with this person or for this person, but being okay with, like, that doesn't matter. Just be in the mess and the uncertainty. Hmm. And in some some ways, it'll, it'll work out how it's supposed to work out or however you want to say it. Right. You know, that person has to find their way, but to be with them in that is, I, I think, what we're called to do. Yeah. And I saw another thing pinging off in my, in my mind as you were kind of introducing this little, little topic is my mom was the person that random people that she never met would sit down to her and immediately just be talking. Mm -hmm. Like I saw the Jesus in her in that. She was the person that people could just spill their guts to. And she would be in that with people. At times, whenever she was not very well, maybe, hmm. from a mental health standpoint. Yeah. Because there's a lot of ups and downs with bipolar. You're right. And, but then in a totally different way, I've seen that in Valisa, where she can be a person that people can oh, talk absolutely. to. They can just spill to. 
There's not going to be judgment. There's not going to be, I don't know, you know, condescension or condemnation. Uh, she's really good at that. And that, that goes a long way. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen it with people with you. Like you, you have that as well. I receive it. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a lot of that, I think, I guess to kind of finish my thought was that a lot of people, I know for me, and uh, another good friend of ours, Mark Brannon, there's a lot of the weeds because it just, like Mark will say, it attaches to me. Like that gets on me. Sure. You know? Sure. And in that, you you start, even when things get well, it hangs on you after. There's residual yeah. stink of the mess, right, that, that kind of hangs on you. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things um, for those that are wired like you and Valisa. And that's a beautiful thing that y'all are both kind of wired that way, but then in some ways I'm sure not, but it doesn't hang on you. Yeah. Because there is this, this mental side that's very, okay, awesome. They are now in a, a therapy right. situation that's going to be really good for them. They're on the right road. They're on the right road and cool. We're going to go back over here. But I, I've also loved seeing you guys when that wagon falls off or they fall off that wagon yeah you guys are right back oh okay all right awesome let's let's pick up where we where you fell off there and let's where there's a lot of people and i'm pointing at myself that could also be like oh my gosh you ding dong like y'all and don't write them off right but you come into it a little bit, little bit jaded because uh, this is the third maybe, time. Maybe you've been, or maybe you've been lied to in that, or someone. Uh, a lot of deceit in that, yeah. That that can happen. And listen, everybody brings their strengths and weaknesses uh, for sure. to the table. Right, right, right. Um, I think a strength is I don't get offended easily. Mm. I may have some strong opinions about the choices you've made and what I think you should have done, but like that doesn't offend me. And I think that makes it easier to stay in the mess. That's, that's, yeah, that's a lot to swallow right there. That's really good. It's the offense. That is a big piece. Maybe so. I've not thought about that a lot, but it is, it's the offense. And not necessarily, I mean, it can be the things that attach, but those, that third and fourth time you're walking with an addict or something and the whole time they've hidden. Repetitive patterns of behavior. Right. What, whatever you want to, yeah. It's the offense. Well, I'm offended that you lied to me that's last whole time yeah, or whatever it is. And, and there is a mentality to not being offended. That, that for, I mean, we, you've talked about it, work, working on yourself. Like those are places that I have through the years and, and Z's helped do that for me and facilitating is sure. learning to train that of offense mm-hmm. now that I'm putting language to that feeling is, yeah, I'm, I'm broke too. <laughs> yeah. I've offended people. I've offended God, you know, like in a lot of different ways on yeah things that I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Really? Oops, I did yeah. it again. Oops, I did it again. Um, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Okay, so um, I think we'll leave that train station and kind of move around. 
you, you mentioned you've gone through some some life stages earlier. You know, there's there's this order we think in this manual. The manual I got anyway about mm-hmm. life. You know, there's mm-hmm. the appendix, uh, the index at the front that you look through. So one of yours came earlier of yeah parents dying, mm-hmm. but you also are right on target with your first going off to college and yep. stuff like that. How how has that been on uh, on you and your bride and sending your firstborn off and all that stuff? Really weird. Yeah. Really strange. Uh, add it to the list. I've said a number of times recently of there's no manual, mm-hmm. you know, how to, how to parent a college student for dummies. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be one. You know, we need some help here. Yeah. So it, I think it boils down to it's a it's an abrupt transition to know everything that's going on or a, a large bulk of it in your kid's life because they're living under your roof. Yeah. And, to, and that's, so to me even make a point on that, you and Belisa aren't helicopter parents. Try like not to, to take be. to take that out of the thing, right? I mean you know, do, do all of our kids, because of their personality, need yeah. some certain touches and extra guidance? On Absolutely. But even even when you're not helicoptering and they go off, you're like, whoa, I've lost all, in, in a, a way. It's abrupt. Yeah. It's abrupt. And, you know, again, personalities. Uh, Valisa is an Enneagram 5. She thrives on information. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the information is gone. <laughs> like, you have Life 360 these days. Yeah. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse. I did not want to know you were spending that much time doing yeah, that. Right. Or, you know what? I'm glad we know so we could have some conversations. And then you're like, well, how much do we interject? How much do we let him figure himself out? Yeah. And we've, we've told him, dude, we are, you, you speak up if we're killing you at times because <clears throat> sure. we're trying to figure this out too. Yeah. It's just, it's a huge transition and you know add it to the list of things you're going to mess up more with probably the with the first one. Mm. Like, you know what? Your brother and sister are going to be better for what you're going to have to endure here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's just another phase. And just having adult children is a yeah. weird thing because so that they, was all the negative yeah or a hard part but then there's the wonderful parts oh, yeah. of seeing successes mm-hmm. and seeing the, the ways that they're doing well that that also is you it is impossible i think to quantify the meaning of that and yeah. seeing them adult um so if if we leave the that part too, because that's, I mean, it's, that's all it is that we don't know. It's a work in progress, man. Work in progress, trying yep. to figure it all out. Yeah. Into the, the next ping, I'm going to use your term, the ping in my head. Um, You became an elder of a church. Wh- what age? 38, almost 39. And so. Along with you. Yes. So now it's been almost 10 years. Yeah. Mm, close. Eight. Yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay. This I is... thought this was the part of the conversation where we start to wind down and land the plane, but apparently we're going to go on another hour. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna soar this in a three, baby. 
It's going to be the longest podcast. There's so much attached to that uh, for me. There, you know, the way that churches who employ group leadership, Mm -hmm. this kind of pluralistic model, uh, the way that the Church of Christ heritage tends to function, I wouldn't be an elder or consider be considered as an elder at many, many, the vast majority, I would say, right. of, of churches. Especially at our age when we came into that. That's right. Called to it. Mm-hmm. That's right. With the stage of our families and our kids and all of that. And I resisted it. I resisted it until I landed at a point. I re- vividly remember sitting out uh, at a, on a camping weekend with the family, sitting out, the kids were in bed and Valise and I were sitting outside talking about whether or not we were going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, I know it's something we should consider because this wasn't my idea. Yeah, that's right. That, that was the, the call or the, the spiritual aspect. And so we did just step out in it. And there's been times, it's a, again, a roller coaster experience. There's There's been the the ups and the downs, and there still are. But I think you also kind of learn to try to maintain a steady ground or a steady state in that. Try not to let maybe the highs be so high or the lows too low. You know, there's kind of these life and sports analogies that can be truisms, I guess. So it it is not the business of the church that revs me up. Yeah. In fact, my eyes kind of glaze over if you put a spreadsheet in front of me. Yeah. And then, but the beautiful thing about your group leadership is there are those that are, you know, over there with their magnifying glass and their reading glasses saying, tell me more about this spreadsheet. Yeah. So, but it's the, it's that pastoral side. It's, it's people engaging the Lord, engaging real community, experiencing change and meaningful spirituality in their life. I mean, those, those are the parts that'll, uh, that really float my boat and getting to be a part of guiding, you know, or stewarding that. I mean, our job is just to be faithful. Yeah. We can't manufacture or create anything. We can be stewards of what we have. We can try to make practical, common sense decisions with what's in front of us, but we don't have control over anything. Mm. That's very liberating to me as someone who leans towards wanting to have uh, a control and, and try to uh, feel good about what's coming in the future. Yeah. Like that, 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 that's my security blanket. And when things go into some chaos or disarray or uncertainty. Again, that uncertainty, again, I've learned to, we can live in this tension. Mm. Be faithful. That's your job. Right. So from that 2002 Alta Mesa to where it is today, what are the things that give you so much hope? Because we're not a thousand, right? Or 1200, whatever that was. Yep. Um, what, what brings you, what, gets you going and gives you hope about, I guess, church in general, really. Yeah. Specifically, our little tribe of people there, what gives you hope on continuing to shepherd that body? Okay. Is that a fair? It is. And it it also uh, begs 
some honesty from me. Mm -hmm. I can be as tough on the church sort mm -hmm. of at, at large, whether you're talking about our flavor of church or you're talking mm -hmm. about other uh, streams or flavors of churches, yeah. I can easily be pretty tough and say, you know what? You're reaping what you sowed. Mm. Oh, church is in decline and this and that. And there's a lot of metrics, you know, that say that. And I, I'm kind of like, yeah, you reap what you sow. Mm. Because we haven't been places that people want to be or to stay. And what gives me hope mm. about where I feel like we are is there is life, there is hope, um, there is openness, there is tolerance mm. of, of difference, yeah, and there is sacrifice of personal preference. And I see that in, in where we are currently. I think consumerism is the biggest threat to the Western church. Oh, that's fine. I don't like what's here. It's not making money. It's, I'll just go over there. Yeah. And you can do that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't leave certain places if there's harm or abuse or right. whatever you want to say. That's not what I'm saying. But to stay, plant, grow, thrive, the numbers don't always tell the story. Our, our numbers don't. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to recently who say, despite what some numbers might say, there's there's fruit of the spirit here, mm. and I believe that. Not yeah. to say there's not <clears throat> work, yeah, yeah. but but one of the reasons that we've stayed is because there's been a willingness to talk about the hard things, to live in the tension, yeah. to agree to disagree. Yeah, I mean we're not supposed to look like who likes eating a salad with just the lettuce greens. You want all of the ingredients. Yeah, right. It's the way it's supposed to be. Right. And even, you know, a time where we all had family discussion about, is this our place and do we stay and do we whatever? Yeah. And we all got to that place of saying, yeah, we do. Because there is, as we used to say, there there is a rudder that can turn the ship in a way from those that you kind of reaping what you sow here. Yeah. Because of whatever that is, right? Whatever... Yep. Your church has whatever. Actions and reactions. But making that decision of, okay, we're going to be all in and let's be all in. So um, do you feel like that going back, you know, circling back to the pastoral care that is also logically minded, has that helped you in shepherding? Oh, for sure, because it's the, that's the birdie on the 18th, right? Mm -hmm. You hit a good shot on the 18th, mm -hmm. you want to come back. Yeah. Whenever you're involved and engaged uh, in those ways with people, you know, that's that's the invigorating. Are there times that it can be draining? Of course, but it's more invigorating than draining. So, yeah, it's helpful. And and it was a, it was completely open-ended and I knew what the answer was going to be because I think that's one thing when I was an elder there and being in really hard discussions yeah. that we would be in 
um, in, uh, even in Z ministry, when you were facilitating that and part of that leadership team, there was always this place that a lot of, whether you, I don't know if you liked it or not, but there was always going to be a point when all eyes would turn to Aaron for a wise counsel that was very, it's got this great heart, but then there's also going to be this logistic side to it that would be like, can you just go ahead and shoot an arrow right into the heart of what we need to talk about? And that, for me, was always a a comfort pillow to hang on to because we knew, I knew, even in, let's go back to like just Z stuff because that was, there was some nitty gritty in that and then yeah. some nitty gritty in the early times of a shepherding where there was a safety feeling of knowing that um, Aaron's probably going to have the last little say and all the squibble squabble and white noise that might be happening kind of might be pulled all together in a nice concise bubble at least to look at it there still may be a lot of marbling to it but at least it's in a sphere not muddled all out there and I guess more than anything, is there's no question to that. I just wanted to say thanks for that because it, for me, it was always, um, it was always very comforting knowing that there was going to be some final counsel from Aaron at the end to make everything a little bit more concise. All that to say, hey, come back to Z and facilitate a little. Bit. <laughs> um, okay. So thanks for going. I know there we could go another hour about shepherding, but I, I'd I'd wanted to get your two cents on that because I believe a big part is the culture where we go to church, and and it's not like Altamesa doesn't have a thousand things going on that might not be whatever. But there's been this vulnerability yep. that's been established at that church where we understand. We're broke too, but we're not as scared to say we're broke too. And vulnerability is is just a big piece of all of that. Yes. And it, and it makes it very comforting for a lot of people who, like we're doing that series right now, like church hurt, like people that are hurt by the church or hurt by other organizations or whatever it looks like, that can feel a little bit safe coming in there because everybody's pretty open and honest, transparent, whatever buzzword you want to use on it. Well, and the other word that's important uh, is inclusion. And inclusion. You're going you're gonna to hear yep. a lot of different voices and see a lot of different faces yep. um, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different areas that uh, I've come to greatly value and will kind of die on that mountain. Yep. Uh, I don't know that I could be at a place that lacks some inclusion yeah. That very clearly bears fruit. Yeah. And is so needed mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, okay. I believe we're good. <laughs> All right. If you feel good, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Any final thoughts from the Tongue Gate chair? I don't think so. Okay. You know, I've, I really appreciate this. Yeah. I've, I've never uh, done this before. And you know, I called you. I was, oh, yeah. I was apprehensive. I was like, so 
we're gonna do what? Just kind of talk. Yeah. And it's been great. What what do I have to? I, there's a lot that was pulled out today that I think people are gonna be, and that's that's the whole thing of this. And it's you know it's called awkward and all that, but I, there's a part of it in just having conversation. There's nuggets for people to pick up and go. Oh, okay, for sure. That's cool. And you just have a real nice smorgasbord of things that we could have picked out yeah. to to talk about and and also your perspective because I feel like your perspective is different than a lot of people's because of that what I see is that beautiful meshing of lots and lots of heart but also lots and lots of head that brings a beautiful togetherness. So thanks for doing this, man. And I, I love you and I appreciate you more than you know and thanks for being on here. I love you back. Thanks, man.